There's a special tree in Africa called the shepherd's tree. It grows up in the desert, and the locals have even called it a tree of life. But the shepherd's tree is one where the shepherds would bring their flocks and they would find some, some refuge in the African desert. Uh, the tree of life image comes from the, the way that the, the roots can be ground up for coffee, sort of a coffee, or a porridge, and I still have yet to have porridge. The uh, leaves uh, and the flowery fruits can be used for medicine or food, and the roots even have kind of a bowl-like structure to capture rainwater, shepherd's tree. So the next time you're on your African safari, I want you to look for the shepherd's tree. Why do I share that story? Because a few years ago, there were some uh, wells that were being dug, and they were digging a well near a shepherd's tree, and they found out accidentally that the, the root system of this shepherd's tree goes down 230 feet. Those are some deep roots. This is the deepest roots of any tree that they've discovered. For a comparison, the trees around here, a handful of feet, three, four feet deep, Roughly, again, some of them go deeper, but they kind of go wide and not so much deep. But this tree in Africa has to go deep. Some people call the roots of a tree its brains. It goes searching for food and nutrients, deep roots. In my Bible reading a few weeks ago, I was walking through uh, Proverbs chapter 12 and ran across this in a New Living Translation. It just simply says, the godly have deep roots. So I want us to think about, in our core text for today, how Christ wants his kingdom followers to have a deeper way of life. Christ wants his kingdom followers to have a deeper way of life. And it's in our core text for today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And our time is going to be pretty much spent in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We'll grab one for Matthew 4, uh, but we're going to be pretty much just in this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus taught his disciples as he overlooked the Sea of Galilee. And so in this text, we're going to find out how Jesus calls his kingdom followers to a deeper way of life. Our verse that we're going to zero in on is Matthew 5, 20, but I want to catch the couple verses earlier, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Are you following me? Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is helpful because a lot of times people say, Well, I'm a New Testament Christian, and I don't need that Old Testament. Jesus said, I didn't come to throw that Old Testament away. Keep that in your Bible. I came to fulfill it. And I'm convinced that the Old Testament points to Jesus. That's why I love the Old Testament. It's so helpful because it gives us a whole picture of God and relates to how we see Jesus too. He said, I didn't throw this away. I came to fulfill it. Verse 18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Verse 19, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now here's our verse for today, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
As we look at verse 20, Matthew 5, 20, I see three different ways Jesus calls us to a deeper way of life. And the first way he calls us is to a deeper heart. He wants his followers to have a deeper heart. Again, look at verse 20. He says, but I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying there's a righteousness here. And this righteousness is a way that he says, I've got this relationship, and here's what I want you to, here's how I want my people to interact with me. Here's kind of a rule of life. Here's my expectations in this relationship. And he says, for I tell you, for I tell you, he's going to say that six more times in chapter five, for I tell you. And so as we look at uh, this deeper heart, Jesus gives us six different examples in the rest of chapter 5, of what a deeper heart looks like. And so can I just pause real quick and say, this first part is going to take longer than the other two. So don't get nervous. You're like, we're, not, we're, going, to have to re- we're going to have to be here for a long time. The first one's going to, give me, just hang with me, and then we're going to get, we're going to get uh, quicker as, as we roll on here today. But he gives six examples of what this deeper heart looks like. It starts out in verse 21, Matthew 5, 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Have you heard of that before? It's one of the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 22, but I tell you, Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus is saying it's one thing to say, okay, don't kill somebody physically. But he says, you watch your words because you could hurt them with your words. And sometimes we talk about in our, in our house, Think about the emotional harm your words are having on people. Our words can hurt. And so Jesus is saying, not just the physical, but you take care of what's going on in your heart and how you speak to others, specifically your brothers and sisters. Another example he gives in verse 27, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, one of the Ten Commandments. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, he's balancing not just physical but think about mental and emotional, deeper heart. Third example, verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, there's a lot more to be said about marriage and divorce. Jesus doesn't just give us this one verse. There's other passages, Matthew 19, for example. But I think the principle Jesus is wanting us to think here is you honor your marriage. And you better think twice about divorcing. And if that ends up happening, you better make sure that the other person is taken care of. Because in the early church, during this time of Jesus, when someone would be divorced and that female would be destined to poverty, and predatory males. You're putting her in a risky spot. She's in, she's, in, she's in danger. So you say, you better think twice about that. Honor your marriage. Verse 33, fourth example. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. 
And then he says in verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard people say, I swear on a stack of Bibles. What's that really mean? And what does that, are you real? If you've got to do that, do I really trust you? Let's be honest, okay? Most people, uh, how do you trust them? How do you believe them? It's been over a series of time and they've just made lots of good little choices, haven't they? That's why you trust them. Or you know of some other people and you're like, I wouldn't trust them any farther than I can throw them or whatever you want to fill in the blank here. Why is that? Because there's been lots of little things over time. You're like, didn't follow through on that, didn't follow through on that. Jesus just said, be a person of your word. Say yes or no. Sometimes people say, will you promise? I don't make promises. I say yes or no. So that's what Jesus is saying. Be a person of your word. Goes on, verse 38. Here's our fifth example. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to, the other, turn to him the other as well. Down in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is retaliation. We're talking about revenge. He says, don't seek revenge. Other places, the Bible says, it, vengeance is God's. Let him take care of it. If somebody slaps you on this side, he says, okay, offer him the other one. In Roman culture, my son Wesson, he's in sixth grade. They're doing social studies project on, and his assignment is on Roman, Roman culture, Roman government. Is that what you're doing? And so in the times of Jesus, the Roman soldiers, just like Cornelius we heard about earlier, they could ask anyone, hey, here's my bags. I need you to carry them for the next mile. They could do that. I don't know how often it happened, but they could, they could just conscript labor and say, carry my bags next mile. And you were obligated to do it, whatever happened. And so Jesus says, if someone asks you to do that for one mile, go two miles. Sometimes you've heard people say, I'm going to go the extra mile. I wonder where that came from. And so Jesus gives them the example here. Verse 43, sixth example. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Some of these are oral traditions now that we're talking about. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's a hard one, isn't it? Let's be honest. Do you hear how Jesus is calling us to deeper heart, though? Not just physical, not kind of just, you can, some of this you can fake on the outside. He's like, no, this is something that's going to have to take a change of heart on the inside. Love your enemies. It's easier to be nice to people who are nice to us. We can love those who love us, but those cranky people that you know, Boy, it's really hard to be patient with them, isn't it? And so Jesus is saying, you love your enemies. Here's our assignment for this week. You want your core 52 action step? It's for day five. We'll get a head start. Write a note to yourself identifying your nearest enemy. You got their name? Whom you need to love as Jesus loves. So write down the name. Write down their name. And for some, you're, you, don't have to write the, you don't have to send them the letter. Don't send them the letter. This is just between you and, and you and, and God. Write yourself a note. Here's who it is. You can do with it whatever you need to. Throw it away, burn it, keep it. Think about what is some small step that you can do. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' love flowing in you. 1945, World War II time, actually. It was earlier than that. Uh, Corey Tinboom and her family uh, were hiding Jewish people from the Germans. 
Her book, her story is recounted in a hiding place. Maybe you've read the book. And in that story, Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy get hauled off to a concentration camp. And Betsy actually dies just days before the war ends. Corey Ten Boom goes off on a, a teaching tour, a preaching tour, if you want to call it, and she was teaching about God's love and forgiveness. How God is able to take care of our sins. And she closed the message one time in 1947 in a, in a church in Germany. God takes all of our sins and throws them into the depths of the sea. She said during that season, people would come to church quiet. They'd leave, leave church quietly. It was just kind of a, a somber season there in Germany, 1947. At the conclusion of one of those sermons, services, uh, a gentleman came forward, brown overcoat and she recognized him, but he didn't recognize her. It was one of the former prison guards where she was held in the concentration camp. And he came up and he said, Fine message, Fraulein. Fine message. How great it is to know that God takes all of our sins and throws them into the depths of the sea, as you say. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your message. I was a guard at Ravensbrook. I have since become a Christian, and it's good to know that God has taken all of our sins and thrown them into the depths of the sea. And then he extended his hand out to Corey Tin Boom. I know God has forgiven me, but will you forgive me, Fraulein? She had just been teaching and preaching God's love, God's forgiveness, and she said in that moment her hand was on her pocketbook, and she wasn't so sure she wanted to shake his hand. Because in one moment she'd see his brown overcoat, the next moment she'd see in his prison guard uniform. And she remembered how her sister died of starvation under his care. Hand still holding out. And she remembered God's love, God's forgiveness. I don't forgive my brother, how can God forgive me? Some of those teachings. Fraulein, will you forgive me? I want to hear it from you. She said, God, I can at least move my hand. I'll move my hand. You're going to have to supply the power. You're going to have to supply the feeling. And so she said, woodenly, almost mechanically, she got her hand and shook his hand. And she said, I could feel the power running down my shoulder, down my arm, into our handshake. And then she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. Jesus is calling his followers to a deeper way of life, a deeper heart. A second way that he calls us to a deeper way is through a deeper witness. Our text Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Do you know who those Pharisees and teachers of the law were? A lot of us have been reading our Bibles, and we know those are the bad guys who killed Jesus. Yeah, there was, they did have a conspiracy against Jesus. But I want to be caution us to kind of label people and put them all in a box. That's dangerous thinking, folks, no matter what age or era you're in, to label people and say, well, they're all this way. A lot of the Pharisees were. There are 97 times you read about the Pharisees in the New Testament. Most of them are in the Gospel stories. But there's a handful of times in the Gospels where the Pharisees actually do some good things. There's three different times in the Gospel accounts where Pharisees invite Jesus to dinner. 
And I'm not sure what their motives were, if they were trying to trap him or what, but to have someone over your house, even in our culture, that means something, doesn't it? Let's be friends. Let's have some time together. Maybe I've got some questions. I want to talk some things through. That at least shows something about the Pharisees. There's another time where the Pharisees actually go and warn Jesus and say, hey, you better get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. I learned that one this week. And then there's two Pharisees that we actually meet by name. One of them is Nicodemus. We hear about his story in John chapter 3. And Jesus, uh, Nicodemus comes to him in the cover of darkness and says, I know you're a teacher from God. Uh, what must we do to enter your kingdom? And Jesus says, you must be born again, born of water and of spirit. And in that conversation, we get John three sixteen. Do you think that's a nice verse to have? He's spoken that to Pharisee. And Nicodemus shows up later in the story with the other Pharisee who is named Joseph of Arimathea. And they come and they take the body of Jesus off of the cross and go bury him in Joseph's tomb. So not all these Pharisees are bad guys. In fact, sometimes they were considered the good guys. They had memorized a lot of the Bible. They had taught the Bible to people. They were the, the religious leaders, the teachers. It'd be like your preachers or your priests or your elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders. Those are the types of people that were these Pharisees. But they also had some problems. And on more than one occasion, like six or seven, six times in Matthew 23, Jesus calls them hypocrites. You heard that term lately? I ain't going to go to your church because it's all full of hypocrites. And so we've got something to learn from these Pharisees. And, and so Jesus says, your righteousness must surpass that of the hypocrites. Those hypocrites, where the, where, where the word comes from, where in the Greek stories, the Greek theater, the plays, this person could play several different parts of the story, different, different roles, and they would just have different masks for each player. And so that they called them hypocrites because they would have so many different masks for the whole play. We can get pretty good at that, can't we? Taking our mask on for church, different one for work, different one for school, different one for home, different one for late at night. He says, don't be like that, Jesus says. On his sermon, you go to chapter 6, verse 2. Jesus says about giving, when you give, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Then he talks about prayer in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. They're wanting this public show. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not be somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Deeper witness means you're the same person everywhere. How do we do that other than God's grace and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit live inside of us? I read a book this week called Faith Unraveled by Rachel Held Evans. She asks a lot of questions, doesn't supply a lot of answers, and some of the answers I'm not so sure I buy, but she has some good things in there to say. And she has the story of when she was in sixth grade. And in sixth grade, she went to a Christian school. And at the end of every school year, they would have this 
award that the students would vote for best Christian attitude. Not so sure what to do with that, to be honest, okay? But she said it's kind of like a cross between Christian spirituality and popularity. And so she won the award four years in a row. I probably wanted wanted a fifth, but we moved. And so it's the end of her sixth grade year. It's a day for the vote. And the kids are filling out their little ballots. And Rachel's hoping that the teacher can't recognize her own handwriting, that she voted for herself. And then she said, in her words, not mine, chubby little troublemaker, Evan, dropped his pencil. You remember that? It's like happened like all, every day, didn't it, at school? I don't know why they tilted those desks. You're always losing your pencil. But you know the sound, don't you? The pencil just roll off. And so he kind of quietly nudged her, or you know, got her attention. Hey, get my pencil for me. Can you hand me my pencil? And Rachel's thinking to herself, hmm, this could be like brownie points for Christian, best Christian attitude. I could really, you know, help in a troublemaker. This could be good. And then she thought, hmm, he's already voted. The vote's already done. I don't want to be associated with a troublemaker. So she just kind of did one of these numbers. Sorry. Don't judge her because we've been there, haven't we? So he gets up. Remember, she called him chubby. Lumbers out of his desk, picks up his pencil. Teacher sees him. Get in your chair. Two demerits. She said, I remember the look of dismay on his face and how my heart sunk like a stone. Jesus is calling his followers to a deeper witness. And we better watch our motives because if we don't watch our motives, Jesus has a word for us. Hypocrite. And if we're not careful, we can have the best Christian attitude and miss it by just not picking up a pencil and handing it to someone. Sometimes it's the little things, my friends. Jesus calls his followers to a deeper way of life, and this sermon will wreck your world if you let Jesus get a hold of you. Calls us to a deeper heart, calls us to a deeper witness, finally, deeper allegiance. Deeper allegiance, you see it there in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter, here it is, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. My friend Jim Dalrymple preaches a a series of messages. We've got it on our Right Now Media page. If you don't have a Right Now Media account, I would encourage you to get Check that out. It's completely free. Text Berlin CC to the number 49775, and we'll give you the link. Or you can just email us, and we'll talk you through it. But in his teachings there, I listened to a couple of them, he says that as he looks at this, chapter 5, verse 20, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, maybe Jesus isn't giving us an entrance exam, but casting a vision. Trying to give us a picture. Here's what it looks like to be members of this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is in charge. Jesus is our king. The kingdom of heaven was a favorite theme of Jesus' preaching. In fact, one of his first sermons that we have recorded in the book of Matthew 
Matthew 4, verse 17. It's one of those summary verses. It's a hinge verse in the whole gospel. Matthew 4, 17. Jesus says, from that time on, Matthew's recording, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, change your mind, change your thought, change your way of life. My kingdom is here. We've seen it a couple other times in Matthew's preach in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we talked about it in Matthew 5, verse 3. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again in verse 10, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's in our text today, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, if anyone sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We have our verse that we've talked about today, verse 20. You turn the page to Matthew chapter 6, and Michael's going to teach us next week in the Lord's model prayer, the disciples' prayer. This is how you should pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is calling us to a kingdom where he makes everything right. Chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom, the Father's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Talking about having food and clothing, if you read the context. And then Jesus rounds third and brings it home in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7, Matthew 7, 21. Matthew chapter 7, 21. One of the scariest verses in the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is calling us to a kingdom where he is in charge, where he will lead. And it's both here and now and not yet to wait for. But he's calling us to live it out now. Repent, change your mind, come back to him. Deeper way of life. Jesus calls his kingdom followers to a deeper way of life and it involves a deeper heart, a deeper witness, and a deeper allegiance. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. We thank you for rescuing us, for directing our ways, and leading us. Lord, I pray for this action step to identify an enemy that's near and how we should love them as you love them. Lord, we confess the times where we haven't picked up a pencil or done something simple to help someone in need. Pray we'll listen to the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your unfailing grace. As Tin Boom says, you gathered all of our sins and threw them into the depths of the sea. And Lord, we claim you as our King. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.